0: Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Psalms. Today we want to look at Psalm 36. It's about thinking. Did you know that how you think and where you put your thoughts determines the quality of your life? Now oh, that's a really important thing because how you spend the time, what you spend your time doing and thinking actually determines whether you live a life full of joy and goodness? It will be a difficult, painful, bad life. So let's look at Psalm 36. Let us pray. Father, speak to us this truth, that we may develop habits of good thinking, habits of spending our time thinking of good things and of you, because Lord, that will change and affect the way we live our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 36. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and to do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O Lord. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights for with you is the fountain of life, in your light do we see light. O oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of the arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the doers lie fallen, they are thrust down, unable to rise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This psalm can be divided into five parts. One, two, three, four parts. The first part from verse 1 to 4 talks about the relationship with sin, between sin and the wicked person. The next two paragraphs from verse 5 to verse 6 and the verse 7 to verse 9 extols the beauty of God's steadfast love. And then from verse 10 to verse 12, the contrast between the steadfast love of God and arrogance and wickedness. So we look at the first paragraph, verse 1 to 4. Notice the words that are used to describe transgression and wicked. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There seems to be a great intimacy, intimacy between transgression and the wicked heart. Can you imagine that? That sin, first of all, is not just a fleeting thought. Sin is not a, a, a mistake in judgment, um, just, a, just something that just happened like that. But there is an intimacy between sin, transgression, and the wicked, because it speaks to the wicked deep in the heart. When we talk about speaking to someone deep in the heart, we think of some great intimacy that it goes right down to the heart of a person. And this Psalm begins with that, that transgression or sin speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. It's not a fleeting thing. It's not a mistake, an accident. Rather, it affects the person right into the heart, right into his heart. When we think about that then, we think about how sin, transgression, can go deep into our hearts. It has to do first with the thoughts, time, how much time do we spend on wicked thoughts? How much time do we think about revenge and lust and, and dishonesty and getting the better of another person? How much of our time is spent in sinful thinking? It's not even in sinful thoughts. It's about the spare time when you're driving a car and you, what are you thinking about the other drivers? What goes on in your mind when you're thinking about other people as you're doing your work? Are you thinking of schemes of hurt people? Are you turning to God? What occupies your mind all the time? You know, for mo- almost all of us, the body can rest. Um, most of our mouths can rest, but the mind never rests. Throughout our waking moment, something is going on in our minds. Good thoughts, bad thoughts, happy thoughts, sad thoughts, godly thoughts, ungodly thoughts. How we spend our thinking time will determine the kind of who speaks to us. Is it transgression and sin that speaks deeply into our hearts? When we spend lots of time thinking about sin, about evil of others, about hateful things, resentful things, then that enters our hearts and sin speaks intimately to us. That's a dangerous thing, isn't it? Imagine if most of the time you are thinking of how bad another person is, how to outwit another person, how to get things your way, whether it's good or bad. Imagine we spend a lot of time doing that. Then, indeed, we grow intimate, with sin and sin is able to speak intimately speak deeply into our hearts how we think what we occupy our minds with makes a lot of difference in our view of life as we shall see later continues there is no fear of god before his eyes you know sometimes we think that only when we do bad that the action itself is bad but god knows our thoughts as well every moment Of our time. God knows our thoughts. And if we were then conscious of this reality that God knows our thoughts, then would our thoughts change? Would we think differently? Would we try to control what goes on in our minds all the time? To fear God is not to be afraid of punishment. To fear God is to know that God is present. The almighty, powerful, all-knowing God is present. And that what we do matters to Him, how we think matters to Him. If we disregard God completely, if we think that He doesn't know, doesn't care, doesn't exist, then we can go ahead and think whatever we want. But if we are conscious all the time that God is there, then what goes on in our minds matters to us as well. Because it matters to God. Verse 2 says, For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. You know, we, we may think that this one happens only to really wicked people, but truth be told, it happens to all of us. These days, we think less of whether a thing is right and helpful and good and healthy, whether a deed or a word blesses. Rather, we spend our time thinking of how we can get away with it You know, there's this very common phrase called plausible deniability. When I do something and I get caught, I can say, actually, I was doing something else. Actually, I was thinking something else. Actually, I meant something else. Deniability, plausible deniability, means that we will try to get out of trouble even after we have done the deed with excuses. And so a lot of life is about whether we can be detected, whether we can be found out. We think often that, well, if they don't find out, then it's fine to do it. It's fine to keep doing it because nobody's going to know and there's no way of finding out. And so the psalmist says that he flatters himself with his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. We've lost our bearing of what is good, what is bad, what is a blessing to people and what's hurting people. Instead, we think about whether we can get our way and get away with it. That's a very dangerous route to take. And I think often we do that too in small things and in big things. When no one's looking, when there are no ways of detecting the truth, where there is plausible deniability, we think about how we can do things without getting caught, instead of how we can do things that are good, that are honourable, that are trustworthy, that are loving. We need a reorientation of these standards. That when we think of what we do, we think in terms of whether it will hurt people and whether it will bless people, not whether we can get away with it or not get away with it. And then it goes on, The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and to do good. In the end, every evil deed is unwise. Because God's goodness is wisdom for life. And then in verse 4, he says he plots trouble while on his bed, sets himself in a way that is not good, he does not reject evil. What goes on in your mind when you're in bed? That's important. Because often we—that that is where our mind um, ruminates. What we ruminate about matters very much to our hearts, to our actions, to our words. This may not be totally related, but I remember uh, in the past, whenever I, before I go to sleep, I, I uh, read uh, CNN or some news, and all these politics would really get into me, and I'd get full of rage, and then I'd go to bed. And often when I woke, wake up the next morning, I feel angry, discouraged, uh, disillusioned, cynical. And then one day I realized, hey, that's a lousy way of going to bed. Because when you go to bed with thoughts like that, or thoughts of someone hurting you, thoughts of revenge, thoughts of resentment, it goes on and on in your mind, in your subconscious, even while you're fast asleep. And so you wake up and that forms you. Can you believe that? It actually forms you, who you are, and what you think. And I realized then that if I were to instead Spend, go to bed thinking good thoughts, beautiful thoughts, if I were to go to bed and think of the loving kindness of God, then that forms me too. And throughout the night as my brain is being rewashed and whatever, reformed, what is good, what goes on in my mind, then forms goodness and confidence and security in me. And I found that to be so true. Especially before we sleep, what are the last thoughts in your mind before you fall asleep? Are they negative thoughts, painful thoughts, hateful thoughts? Or are they loving thoughts, gratitude, thoughts of gratitude, thoughts of, thoughts of what God has done for you? And then the next two paragraphs then talk about the steadfast love of God. It's the other thing to think about. If we're not to think about sin and evil and re- resentment and all that, then what do we think about? Psalmist then says, let's think about steadfast love of Lord. Verse five says, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. The steadfast love of the Lord is without limit. When you begin to think of how God blesses you, one of the prayers I pray for all of us then, is that God opens our minds and opens our eyes to see how he has blessed us throughout the day. The times when you have not prayed, the things that you have not prayed for and that you got, the things that you prayed for and you got even better. Have a heart of gratitude. Think about these things. Because you will realize that God is such a lavish God. He's not a God who holds back. He's not a God who waits and sees how much are you going to pray and then I'll give you that much. Many of the blessings that we receive were given to us without prayer, take note of that. That there were many things that you did not ask for, many good things that you did not ask for, that God gives nonetheless. And each time we ask for something, God gives us even more. Our hearts are full. But it comes with a perspective, it comes with a willingness, a wanting to see it. And so it's important to pray this prayer, God help me to see your blessings for the day. God help me to see how much you love me, because the psalmist, as he meditated on that, discovered that God's love is as high as the heavens. It is without limit. Try that. It will change the way you look at life when you know you have a God who is lavish. A friend of mine spends time looking at the skies. And to her, that brings so much joy because the expanse of the the heavens, the beauty of the clouds, speaks truths about God and his endless love for us. Verse 6, your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Righteousness of God never changes. God will always do that which is right. But what is even more impressive is the next line that says, Your judgments are like the great deep. God judges not superficially. The Gospel says that Jesus looks into the heart of people, not superficially. So often we judge people very superficially. We see what they do and immediately form conclusions. But this is what Bonhoeffer says, We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do, and more in light of what they suffer. What did he mean by this? He means that when you see someone do something, don't jump into to conclusions and say he is a good person, he's a bad person. Did this? He did that. But look deeper. How has the person suffered? What is it that has made the person insecure? For example, is he really a stingy person, or does he does this person actually just need love to make a change in his life? Is this person a rude person or this person, has this person gone through a life of hardship and abuse? And that what that person needs is a word of affirmation or many words of affirmation. What that person really needs are friends. You know, one of the things that I've learned pastorally is that people who are not fun company need good company. Think of that. We often find company friends that make us happy, friends that, that we enjoy being with, friends of fun, friends who are just jovial, who make your day. And we often look for friends like that. But think of this, that the ones who really need your love, the ones who really need your fun, the ones who really need your joviality, your your great sense of humour, your company, are those, perhaps, who make the worst company. Because they have had a hard time, they are in depression, they have suffered much. And they don't make very good company. You, nobody wants to be with them, but those may be the ones who want your company the most. I've learned this that pastorally then, just because you don't enjoy being with a person doesn't mean then that you should spend less time with a person. But rather, perhaps, out of compassion and as a fellow brother or sister, you could spend more time in silence, bringing cheer to those who cannot cheer you up. But God tells us that he, the psalmist, tells us that God judges deeply. Let's learn that too. That as we live our lives, as we see people do the things they do, say the things they say, as we go a little deeper and ask, why? what has gone on in their lives, what has hurt them, what has blessed them. And as we understand these things, we will respond very differently. This has to do with the steadfast love of God too, that He doesn't just look at us and dismiss us. We often feel very guilty because we did this wrong and we did that wrong, but we seldom realize that often we do what is wrong because of our insecurities, because of our fears, because We just don't know better or can't change. But God understands your predicament. God understands you far more than you do. What I've learned then is that I don't feel guilty. I don't let guilt overwhelm me. But I say to God, God, you know my weakness. That's not an excuse, but you know, Lord, that that is where I am. Now, Lord, help me to grow out of it. That way we don't be overwhelmed by guilt of the things that we have done wrong or the things we are un- good things that we are unable to do, because we know that God understands. He's not going to leave it there status quo, but He's gonna slowly lift us out of the things, the bad things that we do. And then it continues in verse 7 How precious is your steadfast love, O God. Not only is it high as the heavens, but it is personal, it is precious to me. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. All people, not just the good ones, sometimes the only Christians will get hide under God's wings, but no, all people, the children of mankind, and take refuge in the shadow of your wings. God's love, God's protective love is to everyone, the good and the bad, Christians and the non-Christians. That is the good news of the gospel, that while we were sinners, while we were the worst, God protected us by offering His Son to die for us. These days we become very bigoted sometimes and we say only Christians have this, only Christians have that. Rubbish. God's love extends to all mankind, the children of mankind, humankind. He covers them with His love. That is the good news. That every person, sinful, however sinful, sinful, is protected by a loving God who offers his son to die in their stead. And then it says they feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of delights. God longs to bless you, not necessarily materially, not because well, that's not just an excuse for not you're not getting rich, but really when God looks at what he wants to give us, the last thing he's interested in giving us is lots of money, because that doesn't bring joy. But if you were to open your heart to God and say, God, surprise me. Ah, that's the other thing that I often pray. I open up my palms and say, God, surprise me today. God will pour his love into your hearts. Pour joy, satisfaction, contentment into your life that you never experienced before. You will feast In fact, Paul says he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he? How will he not give you everything else with that? How true! If God would not hold, if God would even offer His Son to us, is He going to hold back any other blessing? Why would He? He has given His most important already. Surely everything else He will give as well. And so we begin to understand our God better. That God will lavish His goodness, His blessings, the wealth of all He has, that you will drink from the river of God's delights, the abundance, feast on the abundance of God's house. God wants to bless your life, but not always in the way that you demand. Open your heart, open your hands to God and say, God, surprise me. Watch God make, surprise you with His blessings. And so from verse 10, the last paragraph, verse 10 to verse 12, it says, So oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. Steadfast love of God is precious, but you've got to keep looking for it, keep asking for it, keep opening your heart to it. Most of all, keep thinking about it because arrogance could come and remove you from that. Often when God blesses you, lots of things happen, good things happen. But when you begin to attribute that to yourself, and you begin to feel arrogant, Wow, I've succeeded. I am now a millionaire. I'm now a multi-millionaire. I'm a billionaire. And then we forget it was God who lavished this upon you. Then you have lost everything. If God has given you gifts and abilities to serve and to do things beautifully, never allow arrogance to come upon you. Never allow you to think that I'm more talented than others, I'm a better person than the other, because the only reason why you're so blessed is because God has poured his blessings upon your life. Pray and pray not to let arrogance come upon you nor the hand of the wicked drive you away. Because sometimes out of fear, out of anger, out of resentment, out of wanting vengeance, you spend time thinking, ruminating about how to get even, or how hateful that person is and how you can hit that person yourself. Then your mind is derailed, you're taken away from spending time thinking, being grateful, for the blessings of the steadfast love of God and then you allow your mind to ruminate on resentment that will drive you away from seeing the steadfast love of God how you think matters so much because when your eyes are open, when our eyes are open and we see how God blesses us how blessed your life will be indeed but when your eyes are shut from these blessings And throughout your days, you'll only see darkness, resentment, hatred, enemies. Choose how you think, because that is so important to all of us. Let us pray. Father, you lavish blessings upon us, blessings upon blessings. But God, so often we are blind to it, we we don't see it. We gloss over and we think, oh, my miserable life. Oh, how terrible it is. How bad people have treated me. And God, we just have stopped seeing how much you really bless us. We ask, Lord, that you open our eyes. Open our eyes wide. Open our hearts wide to receive. That we may lift up our hands to you and say, God, surprise me. Surprise me with the abundance in your house rivers that will revive me. And then, Lord, let us receive each day the blessings that you give to us. I pray this for each of us. So I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, I hope that you enjoy, experience the blessings of God for the rest of this week and then have a wonderful weekend, restful weekend and come and join us on site, online. Really would love to see you all on site. Especially a hey, stay for lunch. I'd like to spend some time getting to know you. Also, um, you know, one of the things I hope to do is to get to know one new one person I've not known every week. And I think some of you could have that habit to look out for a person whom you have not met before, make friends, get to know the person. You find it very exciting thing to do. Well, God bless you and goodbye.